Aldous Huxley was an English writer and philosopher. He wrote nearly 50 books. And here's his quote about history. That men do not learn very much from the lessons of history is the most important of all the lessons of history. Welcome to the History Slices Podcast. A mother-son duo discussing awesome bits of history. We prove on every show that history is not boring. Entertaining, yet stimulating. This is History Slices. And now, here's your hosts, Jacob and Rachel. All right, Jacob, you ready to get started? Hey, yeah, I'm ready. Uh, how you doing? You doing good? Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing well today. How about you? I'm I'm doing fantastic. It's uh been pretty busy, pretty hectic around here, but that's life, I suppose. That is life. Hard to escape hectic. Yeah. So uh, today, I don't know if you remember uh, what we're talking about, because uh, I, I mentioned it last time. Yeah, I do. Uh, we're talking about military heroes, and not just American military heroes, but um, mm-hmm. people who stand out in the military for, I guess, wherever, whenever. Yeah, well, that's a it's a funny thing, right? Because when I was working on this over the last uh, week or so, it, it's been a little... Not quite a week because the schedules and lean's been weird, but from from our audience's perspective, it's been a week. <laughs> I uh, ended up talking about Audie Murphy, and I decided to cut that because I thought that'd be good for its own episode. Oh, great! Um, yeah, that's the so name I recognize, not, but I have no idea why. Yeah, well, he is uh, an American World War II hero, but don't worry about it. We'll talk about him uh, at a later date. Okay. I, I'm bringing it up because none of the people we're talking about today are American. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so I want to talk about them. Uh, you know, I thought it'd be a fun little change of pace. Most of these are from World War II, which, you know, isn't too surprising. I think one of them is a bit older, just because I thought, as I was compiling this list, I'm like, a lot of these are from the same conflict. Let's pick <laughs> someone else, just, you know, to change it up a little bit. So the first person I'm going to talk about, he's Finnis. His name's Simohea. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Have you heard of him? Do you know anything about him? That or? sounds completely unfamiliar to me. All right, awesome. So this was in the Winter War, which if you don't know what it is, basically the Soviet Union was evading Finland for reasons that are very complicated and involved in like the geopolitics of that region, like since the 1800s. It's like a whole thing, right? Yeah, I I know completely nothing about Finland. That's totally fine. That's why I'm summarizing it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The war itself only lasted about three months, uh, like from November 30th, 1939 to March 13th, 1940 or so okay. around that time. So um, something you, in a nutshell, because obviously I don't want to get too much into like all the, the nitty gritty of it. Finland is to the USSR what Vietnam was to the US. Okay. Right. And that it was a, like a, like a smaller nation with not as big of a military that managed to hold off a more uh, like a superpower basically uh, and cause a lot of headaches for said superpower. Um, okay. And yeah, I'm sure people will disagree with that kind of statement, but it's like a good comparison that I thought of. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so I'm, I'm just going to let you roll with it because I'm I'm don't really know the ins and outs of the Vietnam War either. That's, so that's oh, that's totally oh, we should do like a whole episode on that then. Anyways, um, this is Simohea. He is called the White Death by Soviet forces, and Finnish propaganda as well kind of picked it up. He has the highest number of sniper kills in any major war. Wow. Like over 500, like confirmed. Wow. Right? Like he was crazy good at, at like what he did. Gosh. 
Mm-hmm. He was just some background information. He was the seventh of eight children. And at age 17, he joined the White Guard, which is a Finnish, like, voluntary militia thing. And at the end of 19, he had begun his compulsory military service, which is a thing in Finland. It's actually a thing in, like, uh, uh, several, at least several countries that I'm aware of. Yeah, yeah. But, like, in that area, like, I know Estonia has, like, the similar, a similar thing. Well, early on, he was known to be a great sot, but because he was humble, or at the very least camera shy, he didn't draw too much attention to himself. Like in group photos, he'd always be at the back of the group and mm. stuff like that. But when he, um, when the war started and he kind of became a national hero, and there's no kind about him, he, he did become a national hero. You know, the spotlight was more on him. Uh, in 1940, he was shot in the face, but he lived. He survived. Wow. Um, but half his face was missing. It was like a whole horrible scarring thing. And it more or less ended his career. Uh, he was awarded a bunch of honors, including like the first and second class medals of liberty and the third and fourth class crosses of liberty. It's all like Finnish military stuff. But uh, he, Vince, retired. He never had any kids or married or anything like that. And I guess it just wasn't his, he wasn't interested in that. But he uh, passed away in 2002 at the age of 96. Wow. He lived to be quite old and into right? the 2000s. Imagine what he witnessed in his life. Wow. That's, that's really cool. Yeah, 500, I, I just, 500 kills to his name. Yeah, over 500. Um, I couldn't find like an exact like number, but sure. Uh, the um, and was that supposedly during the the same period of time in the that three year? What did you call that war? Uh, the winter war. The winter war. Did all those the, did those statistics I, come from I there? Believe so. There might have been some like outside of it. For all I know. But uh, given that in 1940, which was around the time that war ended, his career kind of ended because of the uh, the injury he had. I wouldn't like put it too much after that. At yeah, least. yeah, kind of stands to reason it would have happened before that. Yeah, very um, interesting. I, yeah, I want to talk about. I've known about this guy for some years now, just because I'm interested in history and all that. But I thought it was interesting to talk about and be like, you know, hey, this guy's pretty cool. So, how um, did he cross your rate? Do you have more to say about him? Well, I, I have like one th- other thing I can say. Okay. I'm not sure how I first found out about him. I think it might have just been something I stumbled upon. But I do know that in his journal, like his privately kept memoirs or whatever, he was kind of very uh, regretful of, uh, you know, the lives he took and all that. You know, he was very like, ah, that's messed up. But, you know, uh, he was good at it and he wanted to help protect his country. So, yeah, boy, I imagine that would that would come at quite a personal cost. And it would it'd be easy to uh, feel regretful about that. But yeah, gosh, some people have harder burdens to carry than others. It's like the guy who uh, I can't remember his name, unfortunately, but the guy who dropped the atomic bomb on uh, Hiroshima. Mm -hmm. Like that guy, like I can't even imagine that that, uh, not mindset, I guess. But yeah, it's hard though. we can't really put ourselves in their position at all because, you know, we don't want to assume how they feel about it. You know, yeah. um, so it's it's not really for us to put that on them, I guess. No, of course not. It's just it reminded me of that. Yeah, you know, obviously the scale is a bit different. Anyways, just be, being on, required uh, to take any life is is got to be difficult. Oh yeah, absolutely. Moving on to like the next person I want to talk about is actually a group of people, uh, and it's actually from the Soviet side of things, which is kind of funny. During the same conflict, uh, you say, like during the Winter War. 
Well, this is during World War II, okay. but the Winter War was like a sub-conflict of World War II. Okay. It, it, I know it's it's confusing, complicated. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, the um, Night Witches, that was like their, their nickname, their official name was the 588th Night Bomber Regiment. Hmm. Uh, it was an all-female group of Soviet fighter pilots. Wow. Um, they, they were formed in 1942, and they wrecked havoc on the German forces and their planes weren't weren't like top of the line either like I think the German planes were more superior at the time but they were just like that skill that they managed to during night this is all during night of course like bomb key positions and stuff like that and really kind of mess them up as that's like incredible the war that all... wow mm-hmm. well, what did you call them a regiment yeah so, do you uh, know the... like how many how many planes are we talking about there was uh, three, I believe. Wow. Or at least I found three in my research. Yeah, uh, that any that any women would have been trained at that point to be a mm-hmm. fighter pilot is pretty amazing, fantastic. Yeah. So basically what happened was Stalin had this idea to set a record for the longest flight of an all-female like pilot crew plane thing, which is a bit specific, but what was going on was that America with Charles Lindbergh and Amelia Earhart and all these pilots were like setting a bunch of records. Right. And Stalin was like, oh, hey, you know, we can set some records ourselves, you know. Okay. So he got these women pilots named um, Marina Raskova, Serafima Amazova, Amazova, and a third one who has a really long name, <laughs> Yevdorika Ratskivik. I'm not sure. Okay. I probably butchered that, but you get the idea. You know, that's that's them. And there was some pretty severe weather conditions because they're like flying around northern Russia, which is like basically Arctic yeah. areas through Siberia and all that. They had to crash land, like have a controlled crash and basically hike their way through Siberia, which, if you don't know, is not a nice place. It's wow. not very habitable. And they were uh, rescued, like I think a couple of days later. So not only did they break the record they were trying to, to break, but then being able to survive that harsh wilderness, at least for a while, it really impressed Stalin, right? He was like, oh, you know, you guys wow. or you girls are pretty badass. So three years later, uh, Germany invades, as they do, and Stalin, <laughs> that's a little unfair, you know, during the world wars, they kept invading places. Anyways, Stalin, he got a somewhat clever idea, like, oh, hey, why don't I put these two very skilled pilots, um, you know, to work, just kind of protecting the, the motherland. And I should say that um, Marina Raskova, who I think was like kind of the main one, like kind of the the leader of the group, she was really pushing for it. Um, she was like, it makes no sense to have a significant portion of your population not involved in trying to like protect the country and all that. Yeah. And she was on, she was hero of the Soviet Union, which was like an award there in that time. And it was also on Stalin's You're Okay by My Book list. So he couldn't just like disappear her or shut her up or anything, you know? Did he actually uh, have a list like that? Well, not a fissile list, but, you know, like he would often like. She was um, kind of protected. In that sense, yeah, yeah. It was like the, um, if you displeased Stalin, not only would you disappear in the night, but he would have photographs of you edited so that you wouldn't appear in it. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. yeah, it was pretty crazy, but that was just one of the terrible things he did he's not a nice person anyways um yeah i uh, i just thought that was like a like a not a i don't know if rarity is the right word for it but i thought it was kind of a unique 
situation, uh, you know, all female Soviet fighter group of pilots just going around bombing Germans and stuff. I thought that Kicking was interesting. Butt. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Really surprising to me for the the time period that it was. I love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, no. okay, it's hard to love something about war, but it's um, sure, it's fascinating. Sure. It is, yeah. Um, I actually found out about them from a Sabaton song, which is pretty fun. I don't. Um, Sabaton is that a group name? It's a band. Yeah, they're a metal band that's seen about like um, or have songs about like various epic war stories and stuff like really? that. Really? Is that an American band or? And I, they're Scandinavian. I don't uh-huh. remember their exact nationality. But huh. Cool. Yeah. I'll, I don't want to get too sidetracked. No, that's okay. I just think of, that's a, that's interesting where you found that out. Yeah, a lot, a lot of metal bands tend to be Scandinavian or German as opposed to like, there, there isn't as many in um, America. But mm. yeah, anyways, so the third person I want to talk about, and this is a person, Mad Zach Churchill. I don't know if you Mad know Mad Zach who this Churchill, guy is. no. All right, well, this guy, he was born John Malcolm Thorpe Fleming Churchill. Yes, really. Wow. That was his name. Wow. He was a British Army officer in the Second World War, and he became known for being kind of out there, I guess, hence the nickname Mad Zack. Yeah. While he would go into battle, he would carry a lawn sword. I'm sorry, a lawn bow and a broadsword, as well as playing on his bagpipe. <laughs> wow. Now, miraculously, he didn't. He was, he was uh, English? He was, yeah, he was English. Huh. Uh, I mean, he, yeah, I believe so. Miraculously, he didn't die in battle, despite using weapons that had been obsolete for centuries. At one point, he was captured, and there was kind of a funny bit of confusion for a while, because the Germans thought that he was related to Winston Churchill, because of his <laughs> last name. Uh, he wasn't, of course. You know, that's just like a coincidence. Huh. But um, when they found out that he was he was sent to a concentration camp, he managed to survive that as well, and eventually was released and managed to outlive the war basically after the war of all things he became a surfer (laughs) Uh, totally unexpected yeah i know and he lived to be uh 89 years old oh my goodness yes i want to talk about him because he seemed ridiculous in all the best ways yeah Um, i love that now i want to say all that being said most of his notable stuff comes from other people's account of him Hmm. uh he was apparently not that big into bragging um so some of it might be exaggerated uh for example it is said that he carried a scottish claymore right which is a very large sword is very sexy It, it actually was a lot smaller more practical uh, it was like the type of sword that military officers in the past would use, right? Mm. Like kind of that type of sword. But uh, he still carried a sword into like <laughs> a yeah. battle with guns and stuff. That's pretty so it's crazy. Out there is this, it, some things get exaggerated like that. Yeah. You know, details are important and all, but sometimes being awesome is just awesome. <laughs> so. Yeah. So the de- details don't really matter that much. Um. So we're, so he died at 89, I think you said, but what year yeah. was that about? Was that the 90s or something? He died in uh, 96, 1996. 1996. Okay. Interesting. And mm-hmm. uh, the surfing part has me interested because when I think surfing, I'm always thinking of the United States. Um, yeah. Because, of course, that's what I'm familiar with. I know there's surfing in other parts of the world, but I don't usually think of English shores as being surf-worthy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about them. But do you know where he surfed? Um, I'm probably making a huge fool of myself because there probably is fantastic surfing over there. I have just no yeah, idea. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I can talk about that for a little bit. I'm not quite sure where he where he surfed. I, I assumed it was in England. England, I just kind of like, all right, moving on, you know, like yeah. when researching yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do know that England is 
pretty north. Like we in America, we don't often think of it as being as north as it is, but it's pretty north and the weather tends to be pretty choppy. So I guess it depends like what kind of conditions you'd like to surf in, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So the last person I want to talk about, he's actually not from World War II, I mentioned. Uh, most of the people we talked about are from kind of the same point in time. Uh, this guy, Yi Sun Sin, is from the 1500s. Quite and, a difference. Yeah. He was a Korean admiral and he is a national hero. Like they have statues of him and stuff over uh. there. And he came from a... Uh, a high-class background, which, of course, means that the military is not the popular choice, at least at the time. And when he was out starting his military career, because he'd always wanted to be, like, in the military. It was, like, his ambition. Uh, Korea hadn't been in a war for, like, 200 years or so, mm. right? So it was kind of an interesting um, time for him to to do that. Mm -hmm. um, he was actually pretty competent. He took his job seriously. But a lot of the officials, both like in the military and the government uh, at the time, were corrupt because I guess too much peacetime does this to people, I suppose. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of setbacks for him because some people in power didn't like how uncorruptible he was. Mm. And sometimes they needed to sift blame from their failures to um, to like others, you know. Yeah. Um, so a few times he got screwed over and basically had to restart his career. You know, like they would just demote him on fraudulent charges, but he kept at it, right? He kept coming back, which I think is admirable. It happened like three or four times is ridiculous. Um, wow. Like, like there's one where he was in charge of a island base or so. And I, I said Korea wasn't at war for like a couple centuries. And that's true. But they still had pirates and like raiders and, you know, people causing trouble. Uh -huh. uh, and so the base he was at was very understaffed and very undermanned. And kind of falling down. And he kept sending requests after request to, hey, we need more men here. Hey, we need some more, you know, help, basically. And that request kept getting ignored until pirates did attack. He managed to save some people. You know, he was very kind of on top of things. But they still kind of managed to wreck saw. And he got blamed for it despite... All his requests um, for assistance. Yeah, being ignored. So it was really like whoever was in charge of that was fault, not so much his fault. But, you know, stuff like that kept happening. He was also like someone connected, though, which helped him like return, you know. Uh, his childhood friend ended up becoming the prime minister and kind of helped keep him in the arena, like kind of subtly, because wow. of course he can't be like, I totally like this guy and mm -hmm. I want to, I'm showing him favoritism. So his hands are kind of tied sometimes too, but it managed to help him in the long run. Then when the story really picks up, Japan did something that they would do multiple times throughout history, which is why they're so disliked in that region of the world. They invaded, right? Mm -hmm. uh, specifically, they're trying to get into China through Korea, right? But the Koreans, they were like, no, we're not doing that because Korea and China were more friendly at the time, at least. Mm -hmm. So you see Japan, this is getting a little in the weeds. Don't worry, I won't get too much into detail there. But Japan, they had just finished up their Sengoku Jedi period, which basically is like Japanese Game of Thrones. If Game of Thrones was Where's Waldo in terms of complexity, mm. uh, it kind of deserves its own episode, really. Long story short, Japan was divided amongst a bunch of clans. Eventually, they got united under the um, Oda clan, and they kind of became like one big nation again, as opposed to a bunch of like, little feudal groups. Mm. Japan's very militaristic. Uh, for like a long portion of their history, they've been like this, and had just finished 100 years of internal warfare. Wow, that's so, a long time. Yeah, I know it lasted forever. 
Korea, in contrast, remember, they had 200 years of peace, and the military was filled with nepotism, and Germans is not ready for warfare, right. right? So they were utterly unprepared, and they probably would have lost if it wasn't for Yi, right? Our boy Yi. Um, <laughs> the war, by the way, this war lasted around seven years, so it was like, it was a kind of a hefty conflict. Mm -hmm. So Yi was a naval commander at the time that Japan invaded, though his actions led to some serious promotions throughout this, this uh, conflict. When war broke out, apparently he had like a flash of mad genius or something, but he's designed a, uh, a sip uh, and then he made like a bunch of them or not a bunch, but like a handful. And this was the turtle ship, right? And this <laughs> thing was crazy. Uh, it had a metal roof with spikes on it and a prow was made up to resemble a dragon head wow. and it would blow out like noxious smoke and stuff <laughs> like that. So basically this guy made an ironclad like centuries ahead of schedule. That's some like Leonardo da Vinci stuff right there. Mm. You know, it's crazy. Uh, you know, there's only like a couple made, and but they were pretty OP, so they helped. And they were pretty OP, Jacob. Overpowered. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, and um, multiple times throughout. Sorry, I got a little excited there. Um, <laughs> multiple times throughout this conflict, it, he it wasn't just that he had these cool sips. He also was like a really brilliant tactician. Mm. He was like one of the best like naval commanders in history. I'm pretty sure because mm. he managed to completely dominate with a much smaller force. He would lure the Japanese ships in and then like ambush them so that despite them having like a massive invasion armada, but whatever, he managed to like, you know, with his much smaller force, pick off groups one at one. Just boom, mm. boom, boom. Sounds um, like a smart guy. He was, he was very smart. And, and Korea was, he's like the, I don't mean to like, you know, um, group a whole nation together or anything like that. But he was, seems like he was like the only competent one in that conflict oh. in terms of <laughs> Korea. Because it's like a lot of like the government officials like, well, we don't want war. So we're going to pretend that it isn't happening. You know, like wow. when, um, when Japan first showed up and they start making their demands about, hey, let's march through so we can get to China. They're like, what? No, that doesn't make sense. They wouldn't. Th that's way over the top. This is clearly they're trying to barter with us, right? They're trying to uh. freak us out so that they can like then ask for trade or whatever they actually want. This is just like a bluff. But you took and it then, seriously. But they, yeah. And then they showed up. They started landing troops on Korean the Korean shoreline, and they're like, okay, well, that's uh, obviously they're come to apologize for their previous <laughs> group behavior. It was just like, the <laughs> stupidest thing. And, and like the one guy who. Who, um, I can't remember his name because it's Korean, but the one guy who uh, denied uh, him reinforcements in that base thing, uh -huh. he was like the supreme naval guy at the time. And so he totally did no favors to um, Yi Sun Sin because he believed that uh, Yi had um, kind of humiliated him right. earlier by calling him out on the lack of, it was like a whole bunch of baloney, basically. <laughs> but uh, he managed to save the day, managed to stall them long enough for China to get its troops mobilized and, and march to the, and clear out the Japanese. He, uh, unlike um, like everyone else we talked about, he actually did die in battle, but it was a super heroic fashion. Basically what happened was, and this was like a pivotal uh, engagement in the war. Basically, he um, he had his ships along a river because this was in the 1500s and they didn't have radio or anything like that. He was like banging on his drum. He was keeping the troops morale up, basically, uh -huh. and uh, keeping them all like, heck yeah, we could do this. We got this, you know, and that went on throughout the whole battle. And it Wait, he was to... he was banging on a drum throughout the whole battle. Well, yeah, well, he was issuing orders and stuff and banging on a drum and okay. all that. Like, okay. he, well, it wasn't all he was doing. 
but when um when the the conflict ended right and like the chinese command i believe it was a chinese commander in that fight came up to yi he was like hey you guys came in nick of time you totally saved our butts you know you're a badass i've heard a lot of great things about you that's awesome he found out that yi had actually during the battle he had been shot mm. and he had told his uh, lieutenant or whoever, like the guy next to him, like, hey, keep being on this drum. Keep, you know, issuing orders, you know, uh, we can't lose this fight. Mm. So he actually like, like kind of not sacrificed himself, but he. But knowing that he it. was, he was on his way out. He wanted to keep, yeah, he wanted to keep the energy going. So he passed it on. Yeah, yeah. And um and when the um the Chinese commander found out about this, he like openly wept because he's like, Oh, that's amazing. I, you know, like I can't I wish I'd known this guy. Wow, actually, loss of know. a really a really great person. Yeah, yeah. Wow. What's well, a story but, of perseverance and-, and and I think it's just interesting from like a historical perspective. If this guy wasn't around or, or had died early on in life, which he could have, there was like a close call with like a horse incident when he was younger. It's a whole, it's a whole thing, but like, it's very probable in my mind that Japan would have totally conquered Korea and went to war, like proper war with, with, um, with China. It's just interesting, like the butterfly effect there. Yeah. What could have happened in the last 500 years? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. So yeah, I just, I thought, hey, we often talk about certain events, like specific events in history, Mm -hmm. or specific individuals, uh, which is who we're going to talk about next time, but we'll get to that in a moment. And I thought it would be interesting to try to mix things up and talk about a group of people. Yeah, category. uh, With an overarching (laughs) theme. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I I probably could have maybe had a, a more diverse selection. It occurred to me as I was like wrapping my notes and one of the reasons why i included uh e there was these are all like second world war (laughs) well if you imagine you know if you just go back 500 years all the heroes that must have existed in all of your if you're including the entire world you know that's Mm -hmm. that's probably a pretty big pool to choose from so yeah yeah i guess i just went with yeah sorry i just went with some um names that i was familiar yeah, with that yeah. i thought perhaps our audience might not be as familiar and with i sure wasn't them. i don't think i was familiar with any of them except for maybe what was his name crazy jack oh uh, mad jack mad, mad jack, jack. Yeah. yeah except yeah. for maybe him i might have heard a hint about him and being a piper in you know in a battle um but even that i'm not sure of so yeah well that was a really interesting episode jacob Nice job. That's good. I'm glad you liked it. I hope our audience liked it too. I know it's a little on the shorter side, but it's hard to it's hard to figure out how long they're going to be when you yeah. have like the notes all written out and yeah. stuff. So next week, uh, we're going to be talking about Catherine the Great. Uh, do you know about her? Or? I really don't know anything about Catherine the Great. Oh, awesome. I really okay. don't. Well, well, we're thing. going back. <laughs> that's totally fine. That's great because then it'll be super, I guess, educational then or yeah. informed informal informational whatever informational uh, yeah yeah needless to say we're going back to russia that's that's all I'll, that's a little teaser i'll leave you with there okay awesome well, i'm really looking forward to that episode jacob and listeners thanks so much for being a part of our journey and until next time bye confucius once said study the past if you would define the future you've been listening to the history slices podcast with Jacob and Rachel. 
We hope you've gotten some useful information from the show. We hope we made you think, and we hope you were entertained. We know we had fun, and we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on Facebook at History Slices and on Instagram at History Slices Podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show, and tell a friend about the show. That'll help us out, too. One more quote before we go from Michael Crichton. If you don't know history, then you don't know anything. You are a leaf that doesn't know it's part of a tree. Till next time, this is History Slices, signing off.